chapter 9, verse 35, through chapter 10, verse 20. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus called his twelve disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be a more bearable day for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I am sending you out like sheep among the wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before the governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what they say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. And, uh, well, I did it. I drove to the Hyatt this morning. I was like, <laughs> I was like going over the sermon in my head and I wound up at the Hyatt. I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. But it was also a reminder of how glad we are, I am, to be in this space. I'm like, oh, it's just so fun to be here. Welcome. If this is one of your first few times visiting us here, yes, this is a new spot. Hyatt was our old location. We moved a couple weeks ago, and uh, I'm probably not the only person who's done that recently, but welcome. And I do want to also plug uh, current groups. If you're new especially, or you've been with us for a while and you haven't gotten reconnected, say the pandemic kind of got in the way or whatever other uh, life reason uh, was there for you, I'd encourage you to check it out. And in particular, if I can plug Alpha. Alpha's starting tomorrow night. Alpha's a group designed for those who don't identify as Christian but want to explore the faith. It's a place where you can ask questions in a safe environment, which is just to say, ask any and every question, and everything's just kind of thought through from a, a humble perspective as best we can. So if that's you or if that's a friend at work or whatever, uh, tomorrow night's a great night to jump in. It's going to be much more introductory and just get to know your relationships. We'll watch a video and talk about it, but I can't recommend that highly enough if you or you think a friend could be at all interested in that. Well, our culture is passionate about living with mission. Wouldn't you say? Uh, mission statements are a big deal 
it seems to me. And just down the last couple decades in, in particular, mission statements are just everybody's jam, right? Uh, they're just a way of helping us connect what we are doing with higher purpose. I did a, a, a Google search this week on best mission statements. And without endorsing any of these, here's, here's a couple that I came up with. Tesla's mission is to accelerate the world's transition to renewable energy. It's kind of a clever one. Microsoft, to empower every person and organization on the planet to achieve more. TED, to spread ideas. Charity water, bringing clean and safe drinking water to people in developing nations. And I feel like just even reading those mission statements, understanding these missions, can be inspiring, can foster meaning and, and purpose. Well, the mission that Jesus invites us into as his church, as his followers, is the greatest mission of all. Because it's not our mission, it's God's mission. And it's not just about the here and now. It's a mission that is a heavenly one, not just about this world. And it's an eternal one, not just a temporal one. Uh, so what we're doing right now as we are in this series leading into this launch party that we're doing on October 9th. If you haven't marked your calendars already, please mark October 9th. So when we do our launch party, this is the soft opening of Current, the Computer History Museum. And we're, getting, we're gearing up to welcome in friends and coworkers and anybody from the community that might be open to checking it out. Welcome them into the family if they would so want to join. We're looking to link arms and, and make invitations, bring people along. Because we started Current very much six years ago, with the thought in mind that, as we remind ourselves last week, church is not just about those here, but church is also for those not yet here. And so in this short little series here, we're considering our mission that God has for us. And today, I want to look at this text that Jesus gives us when he was speaking to his disciples, to his apostles, that uh, in, in about as clear of a way as it gets in the scriptures, shows us what this mission is all about and how we can join God in that. So let's pray and then we'll, we'll look at it together. Father, thank you so much that at the end of the day, you don't just save us. You didn't just send Jesus to save us to be in relationship with you if that weren't enough. But you save us to let others know about relationship that they too can have with you. Lord, our mission really in a nutshell is to make your love known through Jesus. That's our mission. And so Father, would you help us do that to make the love of God known through Jesus. We need your help in this, but we're also excited to see that you're already doing this in our midst to your glory. Uh, we pray that you do that all the more. And then with this date in particular in mind, not that October 9th is holier than any other date, it's just in this date that we're just kind of collectively pulling together, linking arms together towards, would you go before us and bless? Uh, please bless and give us your spirit now as we look to your word in all this. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so here in Matthew's gospel account, chapter 10, we're about uh, two years into Jesus' three-year-long ministry. And early on, he had called these 12 disciples or students to be his followers, to be uh, trained by him. But now what we see two years in is he's sending them out. He's sending them out on this short-term mission trip, if you will. And the first thing I want to consider with you is who Jesus was sending out. Because it's remarkable if you think about it. These are the names of the 12 disciples. I won't give the whole thing here, read it all again, but we saw Peter, James, John, uh, Andrew, excuse me, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector, it's called out, James, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, it's called out, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him, it's called out. This is a pretty remarkable group of people that were being sent out on mission 
uh, before Jesus. And I was thinking about it this week. It's like there's no way I would have, in a million years, chosen these 12 guys to be on my team. Okay? I say this all respect, and actually to their honor and credit. I mean, the Lord saw something in them that we're going to talk about here. But in my own right, there's just no way I would have chosen them. I imagine not a lot of us would have either. A good chunk of them were fishermen. I mean, you know, to the CEOs in the room, would you be like, all right, let's take, let's take this hill with some fishermen. It's like, no knock towards fishermen, but it's just like, that's what God had in his mind as he was starting his mission, that he would take to the ends of the earth and down throughout all the ages, he would start with a good chunk of them being fishermen of all people, of all professions. And then once called out as a tax collector. If you were here last week, you know that tax collectors were considered bottom of the rung in that day. Lowest of the low, because they cozied up with the Roman oppressors just to gain a little bit more through this corrupted tax scheme. And Jesus called one of them to be one of his disciples. It's pretty incredible. Now, Matthew left that, renounced that, and came as he, as he came to follow Jesus. But still, that was part of the deal, part of his label as he was following Jesus. If that's not making a statement... I don't know what is. And then we're also told there was a Simon, this zealot. Uh, that could be any number of things, but what consensus tends to be among Bible scholars is it meant he had to have at minimum been a part of a religious group that was, if anything, overly self-righteous and lend itself towards legalism. Um, consensus also is that having both Matthew, the tax collector, and Simon, the zealot in the same group would have been an interesting powder keg, if you will. And yet Jesus was like, yeah, I'm all about that. Let's have both these guys together because I'm about reconciliation, even as I'm about mission through that reconciliation. And then, of course, last, but, well, I was going to say not least, but yeah, at least in this case, is Judas, the one who went on to betray him. Think about this. I mean, soon after Jesus died on the cross, rose again, the church would replace Judas as one of these disciples, one of these apostles. But what we find here is even before that, Jesus is still sending this guy betrayer though he would be, out on mission, out with the words of eternal life. Again, I just wouldn't see myself choosing these 12 guys under any circumstance. But Jesus, our Lord, was like, no, these, these are the guys I'm going to start this movement that's going to change the world, change eternity. And if there's any unmistakably clear point that Jesus had to have been making and just his selection of who he was bringing onto the team, it had to have been this— when it comes to his mission, he wants to use every single one of us. Any and every one of us. Because the minute you and I start to go, oh, you know what? I don't think God can use me because of my past or because of my lack of training or my lack of knowledge or fill in the blank is the minute you lose sight of who he called to be on his A-team, so to speak, one of his 12. Jesus wants to use any and every single one of us. I mean, this really parallels Another text where Paul, apostle writing to the early church, said, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you, call, when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. When it comes to his eternal mission, Jesus wants to use you and me. The question is, are we available do we make ourselves available to it? So that's the who of the mission. Now I really want to focus in on the scope of the mission, because I think that's really the point of emphasis for Jesus here. First, I want to consider our task. Okay, look at verses 5 through 8 again. These 12 Jesus sent out, and he gave them this instruction. As you go, proclaim this message. 
The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Okay, so our task, Jesus breaks down into three parts, is to go, proclaim, and embody that the kingdom of heaven has come near. Uh, Jesus is saying here, these are words that we need to be able to proclaim. These are words we need to be able to speak and share with words. But he adds real quickly these other thoughts of heal, raise, cleanse, drive out. And while we might not have the same authority or power that these 12 apostles were given by Jesus, the point is pretty clear. The principle is we are called to not just speak the words, but embody them, live it out, carry it out. In other words, not just take care of spiritual needs, but take care of practical needs as well. Uh, there's a very often quoted uh, person, St. Francis de Assisi, uh, that once, he once said, preach the gospel at all times, when necessary, use words. In part, that's a really helpful thought because there's this idea of so much of who we are and what we're about is communicating a lot to the world around us. And as Christians, for those of you who are Christians, you are called, we are called to live this out, embody this mission. I have a buddy down in the Southern California area. He's a pastor there, and he's really passionate about this. He just kind of gets going. He, he humbly believes that there's a stagnation in the West when it comes to Christianity because Christians aren't really living it out all that much, their faith. Uh, he just gets real passionate about this. He talks about how there's just a real disconnect between what we believe and how we actually live our lives. He says there's nothing that really marks us as standing out. Now, to be clear, that's not to be some holier-than-thou huddle or crew, but it's meant to be just, if you, if you live the life of Jesus, then you ought to, sh to stand out. You ought to show up. What do we mean by that? Well, it's like it, 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 it means... In the workplace, are you deferring credit? Are you quickly deferring credit to others, to your team? Are you speaking with honor about those not yet, uh, excuse me, not in the room? Are you looking to care for and stand up for those who don't have position or power? Are you looking to take care of the poor? Are you looking to give generously towards different needs? Because Jesus says, as you've been given, freely, freely give. We need to, to live it out. But we don't just need to live it out. We also need to proclaim it. In fact, when it comes to, because Jesus says, proclaim it. Proclaim the words that the kingdom of heaven is near. Uh, when it comes to that quote that I referenced earlier, I've, I've often heard it in Christian circles. The St. Francis de Assisi's quote, preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. The problem for me is often when that quote is used, it's really to stress the, and we just need to live part. And the words, that's a kind of important, not really, okay, we don't really need to get there. But no, words are absolutely important. Words are, are vitally important. We need to look to share the words of Jesus, the gospel, the good news message. And if you were here last week, you know, we talked about this, it's not actually overly complicated. You don't need to find a pulpit to preach from. It's just sharing the hope that you have in Christ. Remember last week when we talked about how Jesus became known as a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Right? He, he welcomed them, and he ate with them. He became a friend of them so much that he was labeled as such. I have a buddy that I mentioned last week who's in the Boston area, a pastor out there. He's known as an evangelist in Christian circles, and he kind of shrugs that term away. But he was asked, hey, how do, how do I live that like you? How do, how do I live out sharing my faith like you? Sean is his name. And he said, yeah, Christians tend to make this 
overly complicated when it comes to sharing their faith. Christians tend to think, oh, they need to learn how to debate with somebody. Or they need to know how to articulate just the perfect answer to everybody's question. He said those things, those things help, but it's really not what it's all about. What it's all about in terms of sharing your faith is being someone's friend. It's like, can you do that? He said, because everybody's asking their life questions. And who do people ask their life questions of? But their friends. So the, the goal of a Christian, therefore, ought to be just a friend, because one, that's what you're called to do just regardless, but two, to also be there to point people to the hope of Jesus. I had a neighbor that I was thinking of this last week because he asked me recently to do a reference for him uh, that uh, we used to hang out in our little patio area in our, at our shared uh, condo space and just talk about things. And we were two dudes, usually didn't get very deep in conversation because as dudes are wont to do. Uh, but at one point in our conversations, uh, he, he had had a, a really hard week and he wanted to process it. He was just, he, he found out the devastating news that his dad was, came down unexpectedly with late stage cancer and it was just rocking his world because it, he was, one, really close with his dad and that was hard in and of itself. But two, he was also just confronted with all these big questions around his mortality that he just, he, he was just wrestling through. And he was just asking me my thoughts. He was just kind of processing out loud. We had that conversation. I remember going in that night, sharing it with Cindy and asking her to pray for him and that sort of thing. And she just kind of casually said, oh, did you, did you get to share with him the hope of Jesus? Like, oh, pastors can miss this too. Oh, no, I, I didn't. I'm kicking myself because, no, I didn't. Well, the Lord was kind. You know, a few nights later, we were actually back out hanging out. And... Uh, it came up again because he's still processing it. And he himself explicitly asked, hey, David, I know you recently lost your father-in-law, which had been the case at the time. He said, I know he was like a dad to you. How'd you process all that? How'd you cope? How'd you work through that? And that was okay. All right, Lord, I see. Yeah, this is, this is where hope in Jesus is everything. It's everything. Because knowing that Jesus came into this world to do what he did for us on the cross, and that he was raised again to life means we have eternal hope in him. That's what the Bible calls good news. And just launching a conversation from that. And I actually can't tell you, I can't remember the rest of that conversation that night. And I can also tell you that night he didn't like fall on his knees and go, all right, I'm going to become a follower of Jesus. No. I can tell you, and this is to God's kindness, a few years later he put his faith in Jesus. We need to find ways to embody but also proclaim the words. The kingdom of heaven is, is near. God is, is near and he wants to meet with people. He's longing to do that and his conduit is most often through you and me, his, his followers. So we need to proclaim, we need to embody, but we also need to go. That can't be missed. The word apostle, so if you notice in verse 1, there, these 12 guys are described as disciples, that just means students, but then in verse 2 they're called apostles, which literally means sent ones. And really, that's the call of a Christian is to be a person living sent, okay? We're, he says, go and proclaim. We've got to go. And I would just put it this way. Christian friends, it's no accident that you're here in the Silicon Valley for whatever length of time God has you here. It's no, length, it's no accident. Uh, God wants to use you if you would make yourself available. Listen to Acts 17. This is a scripture text near and dear to our heart here at Current. From one man, God made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far 
from any one of us. Just a couple of things, just real quickly from this text. One, notice that he says he places everybody. He's like, he's sovereign over that. Well, by implication, that means he also places his followers out there to be little lights, if you will, pointing the way to his love through Jesus. But then also notice this language that he says, though he is not far from any one of us. That really mirrors what Jesus was saying to his apostles when he getting ready to send them out on this short-term mission trip, Matthew 10, when he said, proclaim the kingdom of heaven is near. Cindy and I, and a few of us actually here at Current, went to a memorial gathering yesterday of a couple that lost a, a, a six-month-old baby. And it was, an, it was an incredible memorial service on any number of fronts, but not least of which seeing how this couple so powerfully and beautifully modeled what it is to follow Jesus through some hard times. How their grief was just real, but their hope was equally as real. And there was one point, one, one of the people on the stage said, quoting another text, different metaphor, but same idea, right now we see God through a thin veil. In fact, we sang about that. We see God through a thin veil, but he's right there. Jesus says it this way. He's, God is just right near to us. The kingdom of heaven is right there. And you know what? Some of the times, perhaps most of the times, I'm no theologian, but it seems to me we most often experience this when we're talking about the words of life with somebody who's never received it because that's where the kingdom of God comes home into our lives, into our hearts. So that's our, our task. Let's consider now our strategy. Because Jesus gives us a strategy here. It's an incredible text. He said, verse 16, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, he says, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. It's a profound statement. And I think it's incredibly wise and helpful for Christians who can fall into at least one of two extremes. Because on the one hand, there are many Christians who can very easily fall into the camp of, I just need to let people know how it is. Where's my soapbox? Because I'm going to tell somebody. Don't raise your hand, but anybody ever experienced that? You know, just overbearing, like, you know what I mean? That's got the snake part, right? Not so much the dove, right? But then on the other hand, there are Christians who... Go, when it comes to God's mission, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just not going to do anything. I'm not going to try. It's just not worth it, or I can't do it, or it's not going to do anything anyways. And in some senses, that's not just as bad. It might be even worse because the words aren't even spoken. That's got the innocent of the dove part down, but it's not really shrewd. It's not really, it's harmless, but also ineffective. Jesus says, no, be as shrewd as snakes. Interesting coming from Kind, gentle Jesus, that thought. Be shrewd as things, but, but also innocent as stuff. What does that mean? Don't be predatory in it. Don't, don't be overbearing in it. But yes, be intentional and wise, discerning in that way. Don't be overly just laying down and not saying anything or not standing up for anything. But at the same time, be gentle and wise and discerning. In that sense. Okay, what does that look like in the, in the real world? What does that look like for us? I would just suggest that I think this is going to mean different things to different people in different cultural contexts. Be sure to snakes. Innocence does. So what does it mean for us? Well, a couple of thoughts that we've kind of gleaned down the years at current here in the Silicon Valley. Number one, it seems to us this, this could mean surfacing as Christians. If you're a follower of Jesus, can you look to surface as a follower of Jesus? You don't necessarily need to look for the soapbox in the office space. 
But can you look to surface? You know? Can you look to at least be intentional in some way to try to point people to Jesus in ways you can? Uh, we've had fun with it down the years. The way I've always thought about it. It's like when someone asks you on Monday, hey, how was your weekend? And you say, oh, you know, on Friday it was awesome. We went out with friends and had a good time. Saturday morning, had a real fun brunch. In the Saturday evening, we kind of went on a hike. It was awesome. Uh, Sunday afternoon, I uh, went out and, you know, had a good time. And Oh, what about Sunday morning? What would you do then? Huh? <laughs> it's like, I mean, you do, I'm playing with this, but you get the idea. Instead of just, like, answering that correctly, you know, like, honestly and genuinely, you could actually even take it a step further. Be intentional there. Oh, hey, you know, yeah. You know, on Sunday morning, we, we actually, our church started new gatherings at the Computer History Museum. Man, lean into that. That's an easy way to just kind of start talking about things. It's really fun, or if you can say that with integrity, I don't know. Hopefully it's fun. You know what I mean? It's like, and then say, hey, and, you know, we're getting ready to gear up for this, this launch party. It's going to be an exciting day. It'd be fun to have you out and just experience what, you know, so much of my life is about. I'd love to have you out. In fact, they're even giving away tickets to the Computer History Museum. I was thinking about going. You want to go? I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, how could you be shrewd as a snake in our culture, but also innocent as a dove. Surfacing seems a low-hanging fruit. One of the, another thought, and we'll just, I'll just share this real quick in passing. Sh- share your story. Look to share your story. Because I think in our culture, s- sharing our story is such a wonderful thing to do because it's just, nobody can argue with your story. It's your story. In fact, put more spiritual language behind it. It's your testimony. It's testifying to the Lord. Peter, one of these disciples, would later go on to write to the church, say, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have in Christ, essentially. You can share your story. Okay, when it comes to being shrewd as a snake, innocent as a dove, the classic example in my mind, just kind of holistically as you think about that, is I think about the incredible way the Lord used Cindy to reach out to her dad. Don't quote me later. I do not think she's as shrewd as a snake. Well, I do think she's very shrewd. You, you have a point. Innocent. She's incredible. I mean, those of you guys who know her, you know, you know the power of this thought. But her, she came to faith in high school, as many of you know, and her parents uh, weren't Christians for a long time. So she just started sharing with them about the love of Jesus, uh, the love of God through, through Jesus. And it got to the point where eventually her dad said, hey, I'm going to have to, like, put a hard wall there and say, I don't want to talk about religion or politics with family. And Cindy, not to be deterred, was like, okay, I'm not going to keep going that route, just sharing these ways, but I'm not going to stop either because this is my dad. And I, he needs to know about the love of God through Jesus. And so she changed her approach. And she still was very intentional and thoughtful. And by God's grace, before he, you know, passed away, he put his faith in Jesus. And I'll tell you what, his, a big part of his testimony is how grateful he was for God using his daughter and son to help him actually get to the place where he would receive Jesus. This is our strategy, to be shrewd as snakes, but also innocent as doves. What does that mean? What could that look like for you? What could it mean like for you? That's our task, that's our strategy. And then here's our reality, verse 16 and 19, uh, through 18. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. Gentiles just being another word for non-Jews of the day. I just imagine myself being one of these disciples when they 
first heard these words of Jesus, because Jesus was sending them out on the short-term mission, missionary trip, as we've established. He said, here's your, you're going to go, you're going to proclaim, you're going to embody, the kingdom of, of heaven is near. That's what you're going to go do. And he's talking about how that's going to look. And eventually he gets to this section in this little pep talk. He says, and you're going to be handed over to governors. You're going to be flogged. And at this point, I just think the disciples must have been like looking at each other. Like, is he still talking to us? Because the context of this, they were just going out for a few days, a few weeks. She's like, Wait, what are you, what's all this governor stuff and trials and flogging? And... But, you know, Jesus being Jesus, he wasn't just speaking to them then and there. He was speaking into their future. And all of these guys would essentially, all but one would be martyred for their faith. The other would be exiled precisely for proclaiming the very words that Jesus was giving them on this day. So he was speaking into not only their future, but also ours as well, down the ages, all Christians. And you know, as many of you, many of you I'm sure are aware, there are many Christians in the world today dealing with very intense persecution to this degree. Sydney and I have friends in parts of the world, Asia, Middle East. This is not just kind of some foreign concept. But this is our reality as well. Yes, even in the Silicon Valley, even if it's not anywhere near as intense as it was for some of these guys eventually and for some Christians around the world, it just takes different forms and shape, right? And so what, is, what does that mean? It, Jesus is calling it out. He said, hey, don't, don't be surprised. Expect this. And I was having a conversation. I've, I've gotten to know someone in our neighborhood uh, recently, and when we first started to get to know each other, we really hit it off. It was a good conversation. I thought things were going really really good. He was asking me what I'm about, and I told him, I'm a pastor, and he really, like, lit up at that. He said, oh, I used to be a Christian. He just started sharing a lot of his background, asking me why I believe what I believe, and I was just trying to be thoughtful and just kind of share and just, you know, respond to his questions. Um, well, at some point, the conversation just randomly, abruptly came to an end. Like, you just stopped the conversation, and then ever since then, it's just been this, like, I'm, like, waving to him, and he's, like, looking the other way kind of thing, and I'm like, oh, man. And I can't tell you how many times I've replayed this conversation in my head. Like, did I say something offensive? I wasn't certainly sure. I thought it was just kind of surface-level conversation. I, I don't know. And I don't know fully what was going on, but the only thing I can think of is related to faith in Jesus, maybe something in his background, almost certainly, and, hey, I'm not over there to judge. Or, but I'm just like, man, that's a bummer. Now, is that persecution to me? No. It's a little bit of discomfort and actually more mourning and sadness. But there's realities of sometimes we're working for folks like that, or maybe we're working with, or we're dealing with them in the school district, which Cindy and I are getting, you know, it's, it's, and Jesus is saying, don't be surprised. Now, does that mean, well, I, sh I shouldn't have gone into all of that with, with that neighbor? Should I have not shared all that? Like, no, I don't, I think I should. No, we're called to proclaim and live it out. Point people to Jesus. Not that we've got it all figured out, but just point the way. The kingdom of heaven is near. That was the other thing that just really hit me at this memorial service yesterday. It was such a thoughtful, loving service. Just asking the question like, man, this life really is ending in death. It's like, is that, is that it? Of course, the answer to that question for us who follow Jesus is absolutely not. Death doesn't get the final word. It just puts a little bit of urgency behind Jesus' words. This mission, again, is not just here and now. It's for eternity. And, and Jesus wants us to be real about it, understanding that, that there's, there's persecution involved. Finally, we see our confidence. Uh, verses eight, uh, 19 and 20 say, But when they arrest you, do not worry about what you will say or how to say it. At that time, you will... 
be given what to say. For you will not be speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. And then in verse 9, do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for your journey. No extra shirt, sandals, or staff. For the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person to stay at their house until you leave. As you enter their home, give it your greeting. Cindy and I were at a conference this past Wednesday, and the speaker there referenced this text. He wasn't talking about this text, it just, it just came up. And he talked about how this little section where Jesus says, don't take any, you know, staff or, you know, sandals, shirt or whatever. He said it reminded him of Yoda in the Empire Strike Back. He's like, that's the best of the trilogy. And I, I agree. Empire Strike Back is a good movie. But there's that scene where Luke goes to Dagobah. Okay, diehard Star Wars fans, I'm trying to walk into this a little carefully, to, to get training from Yoda, okay? So he goes to this planet, and he's getting training from, from Yoda. And at some point, Yoda, this very wise Jedi master, you guys know the story, uh, is like rifling through Luke's backpack. You remember that? And he's just tossing things out. He's like, you don't need this, you don't need this. And I'm like, was that a lightsaber he just threw out? Like, he's like, just going through stuff. Here's Luke gearing up for a life and death battle with Darth Vader, And the wise old Jedi is saying, you don't need this, you don't need this, you don't need this. Jesus here is saying, you don't need, you don't need anything. When it comes to my mission, you might think you need fill in the blank, training, knowledge. I mean, hey, I'm not knocking those things. Bravery even. Remember two weeks ago, the Apostle Paul, who's kind of a brave guy, asked the church to pray for bravery that God might give it to you don't need hardly anything you don't need anything at all you just need a willingness Jesus is saying to follow Jesus and be about his mission to join him in that effort and I just feel like just to make the point again clear current is living breathing proof of that even here not not the Hyatt well actually there too but but today here because when we found out that we weren't able to stay there uh, indefinitely, which we kind of figured was in the cards at some point, we just got, went like, okay, where are we going to end up? Because facilities do not grow on trees in the Silicon Valley for churches. And we had a lot of no's, and I think I mentioned a few weeks back, I have a church planning buddy right now in the Santa Clara area who's talked to more than 90 church locations and heard over 90 no's. And we're just like, okay, what do we do? And I just feel like it's another just example of the Lord saying, hey, just follow me. Don't take staff or shirt or facility. You know, he's like, I'm going to take care of you. You just do your part and join me in my mission because it's not our mission. That's our confidence. It's not our mission. It's God's mission. He just graciously extends an invitation to us to be a part of that if we would be willing to join him in that. You know, there's some incredible things that many of you in this room are really moving towards in the workplace. It's incredible. I just think about some of the things that many of you are just kind of putting a lot of effort toward. It's incredible things. But God invites us into this mission that's eternal. It's not just about this world, but it's about the heavenly one. And Jesus said, as we discussed last week, God, the, the, the kingdom of heaven, the community up there, is having a party, throwing a party every time any one person puts their faith in Jesus. And I would like to think that they know the reasons to party and how to party a little bit better than we do. 
And they're, they're just throwing parties when people put their faith in Jesus. And this is what God invites us into. That's our mission as a church. Will you join us? Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the field. One of my joys that after, you know, in, on this church startup journey is the Lord just brought some churches from all around the U.S., a lot in the Bible Belt for reasons you probably would figure, to partner alongside us. And so I've had the opportunity to kind of go and visit and kind of share stories and thank them and all that sort of stuff. We, this last summer for the kids' camp, we had a team on a short-term trip come out and help us do the camp. It's wonderful. So I get the opportunity to go visit these churches. And I'm not just speaking with leaders. I'm speaking with people in the church and just getting to know everybody. And every single time without fail, multiple times, people come up to me and be like, you started a church in the Bay Area? Bless you. You know, the whole idea of like, that's possible. You know, it's like, I want to be careful as I say this, but like, but like that, that thought and that feeling of like, bless you for going there. I didn't realize churches could start there. That kind of. And after a little while, my response has gotten to be the same every time. Just get a big smile and say, yes. It is just as true today as it was when Jesus said it. Of the Bay Area today that the harvest is plentiful. But the laborers are few. That's why we're asking the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the field. People are coming to faith here at Current, to God's glory, and to his powerful mission being carried out. Not because we got it figured out any more than a group of fishermen and tax collectors and zealots had it figured out. But just hopefully with a humble, meek, kind of sort of lack of faith willingness and asking the Lord to fill in the gap, which he's been doing. That's our goal. And God is doing an incredible work. And so I would just say, many of us are convinced that a number of you here today are a direct answer to that very prayer. Jesus said, ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the field. We've been praying that. We have had the wonderful, good problem, so to speak, of God doing amazing things and just asking for more workers into the field. I love that quote-unquote problem. It's not a problem. But he's doing a wonderful work. And we're convinced that many of you are a direct answer to that prayer. To put some perspective on this, just about every staff meeting we start out with God's stories. There's a less cheesy way to say that. I'd love to find it. But you get the idea. We just want to start by celebrating, hey, how have you seen God move in the life of the church last week or so? So we'll just start there and just collect stories and thank God and all that sort of stuff. Um, so, so this last week, I, I always can't wait to share this with staff. I just can't help it because it's just so exciting. We know Jesus is excited about it. Somebody put their faith in Jesus last Sunday at Current. We're just really excited about that. So I shared that with staff, and everybody's like, woo, you know, we, we love that. And then one person on staff who's, who's been new with us on staff remarked, oh, my goodness, this is so incredible. Because like, the week before that, somebody put their faith in Jesus too, right? Yeah, yeah. And a couple weeks before that, somebody put their faith Yeah, yeah. Man, I've worked at some big churches and this is a pretty incredible thing. And we're just over here like, yeah, it's an incredible thing. Because God is doing an amazing thing. Again, I just want to say real quickly, it's what he's doing he invites us into. And I would just say, if you're here, you might not he be here by accident. You're certainly not living here by accident. But you might not be here as in with us as a church by accident. So we invite you into this ripe harvest field that the Lord is doing around us, including through broken sinners like you and me. And so I would ask, would you, would you join us? And the question we've been asking in this series is, who's your one? I mean, just to really kind of get real 
tactile with it, tactical. Who's your one? Remember, Jesus shared the parable of the shepherd who left the 99 for that one sheep. Church is not just about those of us here. It's also for those not yet here. Who's your one? Who's your one you could bring in on October 9th? Again, not that that's more holy than other days. We, we hope every Sunday, including today, you know, our days, anybody can come wherever they are in their spiritual journey. But on the, on, is there somebody you can especially be thinking about praying for actively to invite into that, that space? And then can you join with us on October 9th when we have people from mailers or whatever the case might be? Just as we're kind of launching in this new space kind of more formally, letting the community know we're here and we'd love to have you be a part of it. Can you join us with all of that? Let's pray. Father, it's incredible, so incredible that through your wisdom, you use the foolish to shame the wise. You use the, the weak to shame the strong. Father, we are in many ways foolish and weak, and yet we give you praise because that's where you live. That's where you work through. In fact, that's, that's all of us apart from you. So first of all, thank you for the love of Jesus. If there's anybody here today who hasn't received you, Father, I pray that you'd Help them receive you, even now. And just so you know, if that's you, the way you receive eternal life is, as we've said, it's to receive what Jesus did on the cross for you and for me by dying for our sins, to offer forgiveness. And when God the Father raised him to life, he showed that there will be eternal life for all those who do receive him. You could just receive that by faith in prayer with him now. Lord, I receive that. And Father, would you help those of us who are followers of yours, would you help us put your mission first? Thank you for the wonderful things you allow us to be a part of in this wonderful area. Would you help us to be also all the more about your mission? We need your help, but we're so grateful that we have this example of you using fishermen and zealots and tax collectors. Would you help us have a willingness, even this week, in our neighborhoods, in our workspace, to pray invite and join you in your mission. We ask this all in Jesus' name, who came sent for us. Amen.